Well, good morning. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I would love to meet you at some point. I'll be in the lobby after the service. Um, but I just uh, want to say thank you to the women who just prayed um, and for the, the courage and the vulnerability that it took to, to do that. Um, I was so blessed by that just now. Um, <clears throat> we are continuing a series today called Built to Last. Um, and in this series, what we're doing is uh, we're talking about some of the core habits and core values that we have uh, identified as a staff that got us here as a church. So by God's grace, this year, um, this fall, we're going to celebrate 75 years of ministry here at Highlands, which is just incredible. And God has done so many um, awesome things in us and through us over the years. But we also, we, we don't want to just like close up shop after 75 years and, and call it good. Uh, we believe that God wants us to be built to last another 75. And so as a staff, we've been talking about what are those core habits and those core values that, um, that we need to embrace if we're going to be built to last. And so we've identified four core habits, and that's what we're talking about in this series. And so let's review those together. Uh, here are the four things. We've got to gather gather, we've got to commit, serve, and retreat. We've got to gather, commit, serve, and retreat. And why must we gather? Because we believe in Bible teaching, and we believe in worship. Why must we commit? Because we believe in community, and community is only built in committing to one another. Why must we serve? Because we believe in next generation ministry. We believe in local kindness. And we believe in global missions. And why must we retreat? Because we believe in prayer. We believe in the power of seeking God together. And so those are the core habits and values that we're talking about in this series. Today, we're talking about local kindness, local kindness. Uh, this weekend, um, it's kind of a fun weekend for Courtney and I because um, we've got basically our whole family in town. Um, and Esther uh, turned one last week, and so yesterday we were celebrating her one-year-old birthday party, and so we got lots of family in town for that. And as Courtney and I were preparing for that party, um, we were just talking about how often our family has bailed us out of things. Um, like they are just, they have been so kind to us in so many ways. Every time uh, parents are in town or at our house, they're, you know, helping us pick up limbs and leaves in the yard. They're vacuuming stuff. They're cleaning out the fridge. They're installing shelves, you know, and drilling holes in walls and installing swings and teaching me how to cut steak and just like lots of different stuff. Um, and so we've just been so blessed. And so Courtney and I were thinking about that and, and I, was, I just thought, if it wasn't for the kindness of my family, where would I be? And for some of you who are in the room today, I'm aware that that is not your experience. And even me talking about the kindness that my family has had for me maybe causes pain for you because that's not been what you've experienced. And if that's your story today, I am so sorry but you've come to the right place. 
Because you are surrounded right now by people who follow a generous and kind God who want to be generous and kind to you. That's the kind of place that we want to be. And so the truth is that there are so many people in our communities who left on their own because of the family unit that they found themselves in when they face some kind of big decision in life, they don't know where to go to get wisdom. There are people in our community who, when they come into some kind of unexpected financial challenge, they don't know where to turn. When life continues to pile stress on, top of one after the other, they don't know where to go to pass off some of that burden. And in the same way that I've been blessed to experience a kind family who will help me with those things, that is how the local church should be to our local community. In the same way that I have thought before, where would we be without my family? That is how the community should feel about the church. The local church, part of God's vision for the local church is that we would be known for local kindness. And I want to talk about why today. Why is that true? So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to look at one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Um, Even if you're not a church person, you have heard of this character that we're going to talk about today. But before we look at the story, we're going to see what led Jesus to tell this story. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this man comes to Jesus and it describes him, Luke describes him as an expert in the law. That's just another way of saying he was an attorney or a lawyer or he was an expert in the Hebrew law, the Hebrew scriptures. And so he's very aware of what the Bible says, of what the Old Testament says about how to follow God. And he has a question that's a pretty common question. He comes to Jesus and his question is this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here was the operating assumption that this man lived his life with, that if he did enough good things, he would receive good in return. If he did enough good things, he would receive good back. And isn't that how so many of us live our lives as well? That if we put enough good thoughts into the, into the world, then good things will come our way. If we are good enough people, if, if we do good things, then good things will happen to us. Things will work out. And this man even believed this in an eternal sense. So he believed if he would do enough of the good stuff that you're supposed to do, that he would actually inherit or earn 
eternal life as a reward. Or in other words, he would get to live forever in heaven. And isn't that how we're tempted to think as well? And so he comes to Jesus with this question. Hey, I'm an expert, but I just want to know, what do you say that I've got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus is absolutely brilliant. Like a lot of times we talk about Jesus being kind and Jesus being powerful even at times. But Jesus is also very smart. And so he responds to this man brilliantly. He doesn't answer his question right away. Instead, he asks this man a question. And the question is pretty wise because it puts Jesus, rather than being on the spot, Jesus gets at the, the motive, the underlying idea behind this man's question. See, Jesus knows that this man's coming with this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But there's a reason he's asking that question, and that's what Jesus is interested in. And so Jesus responds with a question. He says this in verse 26. Well, what's written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? You're an expert. What does the law say? How do you read it? And the man answered in verse 27 the way that a typical Jewish person in the first century would answer. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. The man quotes from the most famous Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Josh actually taught through that last week. And what he's doing is what was typical. He's summarizing the teaching of the law with this one command. You want to know what the whole law is about? Here it is. Love God with everything you've got. With your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. Every part of you should love God. And if you do that, you've kept the law. And he adds this little verse from Leviticus, and love your neighbor as yourself. And those two commands, love God and love your neighbor, you can hang all of the law on those two commands. Every other commandment in some way can be hung on those two commandments. And even Jesus himself affirmed this. In Matthew and Mark, there are multiple occasions where People come and they ask Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he summarizes all of the law just like this man does. And so Jesus says, verse 28, you've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you'll live. Now what's ironic about this is even though Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and, you know, all that, and love your neighbor as yourself, even though that's, like, a simple thing to say, and, like, we can intellectually be like, yeah, that's a really good summary of the law. All of the Old Testament hangs on those two things. Even though we can say that, that's really hard to do, right? So all you have to do if you want to inherit eternal life is just love God always with every part of you. 
Never get upset about having to go and do something for God. And never get upset about having to do something good for your neighbor, just like you would do for you. You just be a really good person, and of course, you can have eternal life. What this man should do when he hears Jesus say this is recognize how he could never be that kind of person. If that's what you, oh, oh, that's all you have to do to have eternal life, to inherit heaven, is just be that kind of person. Oh, well. What he should do is recognize his guilt and his brokenness and his inability to do that. Instead, what he does is what we do so often. And that is, look for a loophole. So, okay, that's what you're supposed to do, but what does it really mean to love God with all of your mind? Okay, so that's what we're supposed to do, but, but who's my neighbor, really? And so that's what the man does. Look at verse 29. But wanting to justify himself. Wanting to justify himself. He asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? To justify yourself is to try and prove that you're the kind of person who measures up. You're the kind of person who meets the standard. You're the kind of person who deserves to be officially labeled as a good person. You're the kind of person who should be acceptable in the eyes of God and others. That's what it means to try to justify yourself. And so this man is trying in his own ability to, okay, so that's what you got to do. So let's just, who's my neighbor though? Because see, if we can limit the scope of neighbor then maybe I could do that. Like if the only person in my life that I'm responsible for neighboring, the only person in, in my life, like if I could boil it down to one, or if I could boil it down to a certain group of people who I'm kind of naturally inclined to care for anyway, then yeah, I could be that kind of person. So who's my neighbor? Do you see what he's doing? He's operating with this assumption that if you're a good person who puts good out into the universe, that good will come back to you and you'll maybe even get to go to heaven or something. And in order to be that kind of person, let's try to limit the scope of exactly, let's, let's know exactly what's going to be on the test. And Jesus, remember, he's brilliant, responds to this man's loophole Question, who's my neighbor? With a story. Here's what he says. Verse 30. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. So Jesus starts to tell this story about this man who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the road 
I think it's about 17 miles. I should have written that down, though. Um, but I think that that's about right. The road that this man is walking was a notoriously dangerous, treacherous path. It was very windy, so it was dangerous in that sense. And also, criminals were known for hanging out on this route and ambushing people and stealing stuff, just like happens in the story. And so as Jesus starts to tell this story to all of these Jewish people who are listening They're familiar with the route that he's referring to. And so this man finds himself on the wrong end of that route. He's attacked. They steal from him. Perhaps he tries to defend himself, but there were too many of them. And so he gets beaten up, left on the side of the road, and he's going to die if he's left there. That's the situation. But there's good news. Verse 31. Because a priest happened to be going down that road. And as you're listening to this, if you're in the first century, you're like, all right, this is our guy. This is who, like, if there's anybody we could trust, if you find yourself in any kind of tough situation, this is the kind of person you would want. All right, we're in business because a priest is coming. A priest, their whole job is to keep the law and be nice to people and intercede for people and pray for people. And so, all right, we're good. The guy's going to make it because the priest is coming. So a priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Okay, so he saw him, and then he went around him. Verse 32, in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, a Levite, they're not quite as good as a priest, but they do serve priests in the temple, and they help priests. And Levites are people you can count on. I had a cousin who was a Levi, and he's just always nice, you know? That's how the Jewish audience is thinking. But the priest and the Levite leave their fellow Jewish man on the side of the road. Verse 33. But a Samaritan... But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. See, the first two, it's not that they weren't aware of the problem. They saw him. But for whatever reason, they weren't willing to help. The Samaritan comes along and he sees him and he has compassion. He has kindness. The word compassion means a heart that moves. A heart that sees the pain and the suffering and is moved by that. The Samaritan sees him and has compassion. And to the original 
audience that Luke is writing to and that Jesus was telling this story to, this is unbelievable. Like literally, they didn't believe that this would happen. Because Jesus says that it was a Samaritan who had compassion. And Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were inferior ethnically in the Jewish mind. They were inferior theologically. They were inferior socially. Like in the Jewish mind, if you had asked them, who do you think is most likely, like, okay, we're going to put a multiple choice up. Who do you think is most likely to have attacked this Jewish man in the first place? All right, we've got another Jewish man. We've got a Roman. We've got a Samaritan. Samaritan. That's probably the group. It was probably the Samaritans who did this to him. Isn't it true that there are certain crimes that could be committed in our day? And when we hear about the crime, there's a certain person who may come to our mind as well. See, for the Jews, the Samaritans are the kind of people who would do this. But now in Jesus' story, the Samaritan is the one who comes along, sees the brokenness, and has compassion. The Samaritan is the one who has kindness for the man. So here's what he does. Verse 34, he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. The Samaritan is on the same stretch of road where this man was beaten up. There's risk involved to get down off of your animal and help this man. Like, what if the bad guys come back, right? What if there are more bad guys? But he's willing to take that risk on himself to help this man. He bandages him up there on the side of the road. He's also willing to use his own supplies and resources to care for this man. He takes him to, the, to an inn. He's looking after him. And then he's still got to go and do, you know, the business that he was originally going there to do in the first place. But he gives some money to the innkeeper and says, well, look after him. He's willing to use his own resources to care for this stranger. Just because... He saw his need, and he had compassion. And so now the brilliance of Jesus is most on display because Jesus ends by asking another question. He says, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? See, the man's question was, who's my neighbor? All right, I'm supposed to love everybody, but who does that mean? Jesus' question is, who proved to be a neighbor? 
he answers. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. See, as a church, we are called to love one another. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that Jesus actually said in John 13 that the way that the whole world will know that we are his followers, that we belong to him, is if we love each other. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says we should be eager to do good for everyone, but especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So we have an obligation, we have a calling as, as Christians and as a church to love each other. If you're part of this church, you get taken care of. But we are also called not just to love one another, but to love our neighbor as ourself. But who's our neighbor? Don't we have a tendency like this man to look for a loophole? Don't we have a tendency to try and put limits on who we would love and when we would love and how much we would love? See, Jesus is showing us that to truly love our neighbor, we have to love without limits. It's natural to have compassion for the people who are like you and who like you. your family, your friends, even maybe your church. Jesus is saying that true love means you help people who aren't like you and who don't like you. And maybe even that you don't like. But how do you actually live like this? So like that idea of like love people who are not like you, that's not as groundbreaking for us as, at least in, in concept and principle, as it was for the original audience. Because our culture has been so influenced, the West has been so influenced by the Christian ethic that it makes sense that you love people who are broken and different than you. And like, we know that. The question though is, how do you actually motivate someone to do that. And here's how the motivation typically goes. Typically, it's just a guilt trip. We just appeal to morality or some type of value or ethic to guilt you into doing that. So here's what I mean. Um, depending on you know, what kind of camp you find yourselves in in life, you might say, if you're an open-minded, progressive person, then wouldn't you love people who are different than you? Or you might say, if you're a God-fearing, moral person, wouldn't you love people who are different than you? Do you see how both of those questions, you know, it depends what you're leading with. But the question is basically the same. It's, look, don't you want to be a good person? Don't you want to justify yourself? 
So you should love everybody. We do things like, you've got so much. And so when you encounter a need that's from someone with so little, then shouldn't you, couldn't you give up one Starbucks a week and give that money to some cause that really needs it? You see how that's really just virtue signaling or a guilt trip to try and make you appeal to this thing in you that wants to be a good person? Yeah, you're right, I ought to do that. And that's the brilliance of this story. That's the brilliance of Jesus. Is Jesus is not interested in manipulating you morally. Instead, Jesus wants to change your heart. And here's how he does this in the story. And so often we miss this. First person that I remember pointing this out to me was Don Carson in a chapel service at a college that I went to in Chicago. I don't remember many messages that were preached in that chapel, but I remember this one. He pointed this out, and this is so eye-opening. Here's how Jesus could have told the story, and here's how we typically try to manipulate people into loving their neighbor. We would tell the story like this. There was a man who was walking on the road, and he saw a Samaritan man who had been beaten up and broken down on the side of the road. And even though we hate Samaritans, shouldn't we love that person? And so can we all just find it in ourselves to stoop down to their level and serve them But that's not how Jesus tells the story, is it? Instead, the way that Jesus tells the story is he says that you're the man who was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, and you're the man who got beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. And in that moment, who would you want your neighbor to be? Would you want it to be this priest? Well, you've got so much in common with them. You guys all believe the same. Would you want it to be this Levite? Who proved to be a neighbor? Who's the neighbor that you would want if you were left on the side of the road? And the answer is the Samaritan. Do you see the brilliance of the story? Jesus is inviting us not to identify first with the man who helps, but instead he's inviting us first to identify with the man who's broken down on the side of the road and needs help. And that is the key to learning how to love your neighbor. In order to love without limits, you've got to identify not with the man on the, on the horse who can stoop down to help. 
First, you've got to identify with the man who's broken down on the side of the road, left for dead. Before we can truly love those in need, we'll have to experience true love in our time of need. And here's the good news. That we are the man, spiritually broken down on the side of the road. Because of our foolishness and our own dysfunction and our own arrogance and pride, all of us have made a mess of our lives and deserve to pay for that. We have all tried to be wise in our own eyes. We have all looked at the God who made us and who made the world and knows how it should function. We have all looked at that God and said, you know what? I know better than you. And spiritually speaking, because of that, we are all on the side of the road, left for dead. We've made God our enemy. But what has God done? God has demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone may possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who we thought of as our enemy and yet has still chosen to love us by coming to the earth, going to the cross, dying in the place of sinners and being raised from the dead. What an awesome God we have. What a selfless, generous God. And that's the God who is inviting us to love without limits. That's the God who's inviting us to demonstrate kindness to our community. And so my hope for our church is that we would be people who are so aware of our need that apart from God, we are left for dead, that we would be so aware of that that we identify with those who are broken down on the side of the road, that we empathize with those who are suffering. And that because of the love we've encountered, because of the love and kindness we've experienced from God, we would love our neighbors as ourselves. To close today, to give us an idea of what this could look like, um, I want to invite Zeb up. Uh, pastor Zeb Greenfield is our community pastor, and um, he just has such a great heart for this. And so I just want to talk with him briefly um, about what this could look like in our church to pursue this vision of local kindness. And so rather than me trying to give some ideas, I thought he's got better ideas than me. So I don't know about that. So let's talk, man. Um, I closed this and I should have left it open because it has the questions I'm going to ask you. Um, so uh, our church historically um, 
has what we call the benevolence fund or a benevolence ministry. Um, the word benevolence just means kindness. So that's why we called it local kindness. Um, so can you tell us about that uh, fund and that ministry and what that does and how that works? Yeah, so really practically on uh, every time we receive communion as a church body, we, we take up a benevolence offering, uh, which goes into a fund to be able to provide care for people right here in our church and also in our community. So we care for, like you mentioned, those of the household of faith. We want to take care of those who are within our church body. Um, but also the, the funds in that account are also used to uh, make a difference in the lives of people right here in our community. So recently, uh, twice over the past couple of months, we've been able to help specifically with um, a house fire and an apartment fire uh, here in our community where we were able to come alongside of those who were uh, impacted by that and provide some relief and care and, and just be kind uh, in, in, the, in the face of that adversity to be able to step in and help um, with that. That came out of the Benevolence Fund here at Highlands. Such an awesome ministry. And so thank you so much for your generosity uh, to give to that and make that um, possible. You've also been the mastermind behind a lot of our uh, local kindness initiatives recently. Um, so a lot of the COVID relief efforts that we did um, earlier this year or and last year, um, the Love Our City campaign last summer, Light Up the Darkness campaign. Um, there's a lot of things like that that you have um, been the catalyst for. Um, I know catalyst is one of your favorite words, so uh, use that for you. It is. Um, so can you tell us, um, uh, I forgot my question in this, uh, oh, why that's so important to you and what kinds of things you would love to see us do in the future? Yeah, I think it's, it's really important because uh, Jesus has commanded us to be salt and light. Um, so we're to uh, put out a good flavor, right, <laughs> if you will. Uh, that, that's what salt is for, and, and to proclaim the light of Jesus. And, and one way to do that is simply by, uh, by taking uh, love and kindness and putting that into action for those in our community. So you might remember some of the things that we've done over the course of the last 12 to 14 months in feeding the healthcare workers and, and collecting goods and, and donations to, to, um, to help support Vision House and other partners here in our community to do a backpack school supply drive. And all of these things are done so that we can uh, let other people know, like you mentioned, that the church is here and, and we want to make a difference and we want to be uh, involved and care for people in our community. Um, that's why we're here. We're here to be salt and light. And so I think the sky's the limit for what we can continue to do and see uh, God do through us in that way. And one of the things that I have always remembered, somebody told me one time, is to just uh, get involved with God, what God is already doing, with where God is already at work in the community. Don't try to create something always from, from scratch and from nothing, but to, to step in and join and be a part of what God is already doing. And so uh, we've already been at, uh, at work doing those kinds of things, but there are a number of partners here in our local community that, um, that are already doing incredible things that we have an opportunity to step in and be a part of and, and see God do incredible things through our efforts and through the work that they're doing. That's awesome. Um, you're also, Zeb also leads our community groups, our small groups. Um, and I know a big part of your vision for community groups is that they would also be um, serving and participating in local kindness initiatives. Can you talk about uh, your vision for that? 
Yeah, I think a lot of times when we when we talk about this idea of the church kind of taking action and and, and loving our community, um, oftentimes it's it's kind of viewed as like top down, like everything has to flow through the church, uh, you know, corporately, and it has to be announced on stage in order for us to 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 go into action. But but the reality is, and I I believe that our community groups are are just an extension of our church. We're we're to be the church in our community. And so wherever your community group might might be and, and gather and, and form community, uh, there are needs in those areas. There, there are needs in those neighborhoods and in those communities and those cities uh, that you as a community group could step into and, and provide uh, support and encouragement and, and make an impact on, on a very small grassroots level. So we wanna, we wanna see both happen. We wanna see at a corporate level our church stepping into action, but we also wanna see at a, at a grassroots local organic level community groups springing into action to provide uh, support and, and to share the love and, and hope that's found in Jesus at, at a small scale as well. That's awesome. So if somebody's listening and they've got ideas for how our church could better serve our community, what should they do? What's a good next step for them? Well, if you're in a community group, I would say go to your community group leader and let them know that, that you have an idea or you have a, a, someone that you know, someone that you're connected with in the, in the community, in the neighborhood that, that you feel like could be a good partnership or could be a good service opportunity for your group. If you're not yet in a group, Join a group. <laughs> that would be one way to, to get plugged in and get involved as we continue to move forward and, and want to see more and more groups um, active in, in various different communities here. Um, also, if there's, if there's a, someone that you know that you're connected with, maybe an organization or a nonprofit or a church or whatever it might be, an opportunity for us as a church corporately to step in and get involved with that um, that opportunity, that would be something that I would love to know about. So please feel free to reach out to me directly um, to, to send me an email or to, to grab me maybe after after the service and let me know that, that there is an opportunity uh, maybe on a, on a larger scale that would be good for us as a church to step into. Man, we wanna know about those things. We wanna hear about the opportunities that we have uh, to step in in our community. Awesome. Um, as part of this series, uh, we are starting... Um, a local kindness initiative that people can participate in today, actually. Why don't you let us know about that? Yeah, so we couldn't talk about local kindness and not give you guys an opportunity to step into that. So at a very practical level, we are gonna be holding a donation drive uh, in two weeks, two Sundays from today on the 23rd. Uh, we'll be collecting donations and items that will go and benefit Vision House and the Rainier Valley Food Bank uh, right here in our local community. So you can go to highlandcc.org uh, slash donation drive to see a complete list of items that are needed. And I've been in uh, close contact with both Vision House and the Rainier Valley Food Bank recently uh, with an updated current list of things that they need that will be uh, immediately used uh, for the folks that they uh, connect with and interact and engage with. And so we'd love to have you be a part of bringing items. We, we scheduled it uh, specifically so that you could just bring it when you come to church. <laughs> How convenient. Okay, so uh, on the 23rd, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., we'll be set up in the lower parking lot where you can just kind of drive in or as, you're, as you get out of your car and come into service, you can drop those items off there, and then we'll be uh, delivering them later that week, so Monday and Tuesday. If, if you're available, we would need help both on Sunday and then on Monday and Tuesday as we go and drop off those items. Um, there is a sign-up form on the webpage, so go to highlandcc.org. You can sign up to serve um, if you're interested in helping us as we collect and sort and then uh, drop off those items. Awesome. Thank you for putting that together. Yeah. And thank you for your leadership in this way. I'm excited awesome. about it. Um, well, let me pray for us and ask God to help us be this kind of church um, that loves our city well and um, then 
will respond in singing. Father, thank you for your kindness to us by sending your son. God, we we want to be people who are moved by that kindness. We want to be people who who are alive because your spirit is in us through our, our faith. And so God, would you help us to be the kind of church that cherishes the kindness you've demonstrated to us and then gives that kindness to those in our city who need it. God, would you be honored in how we live as a result of this message? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing?